welcome to Rotating Reels. I'm your host, Keegan Tran. With me today, we have Hank Showalter. What up? And Taylor May. Hello. This week is an A week, and we'll be reviewing a movie that just recently released. Before we get into that, we're going to do a little bit of what we've been watching. So, Taylor, why don't you kick us off? What have you been watching this week? I had a busy week. I was trying to start a new TV show because I finished Schitt's Creek. I finished Tribes of Europa, which only had one season and ten episodes out. So I needed something. Um, I couldn't really get into a bunch of these. I tried Dark, uh, which is a German TV show, kind of mystery thriller. Uh, it was okay. Uh, I tried Kingdom, which is on Netflix. It's a it's a Korean uh, TV series about zombies in uh, like medieval Korea. That was pretty good. Sweet. Um, watched Messiah. It's also on Netflix. Um, kind of kind of weird. We we finished the first season. Um, it didn't it didn't quite go totally crazy as i wanted it to it still kind of stayed pretty you know in the realm of plausibility um so that was okay um then watch northman or northman i forget how it is but it's uh it's sort of like one of those you know there's a million tv shows in like the viking genre right now so northman um i think it's made in like norway netflix or something like that but it's like a comedy so it's like the setting, costumes, everything is like very much what you expect in a Viking show. And then there's just all kinds of uh, kind of ironic laughs built in. So it, it worked pretty good. I've seen that um, whole one about three times through. <laughs> so you liked it. I might have liked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't, I didn't tell my partner that it was a comedy, and we started watching it. And so we're like, you know, it's the big dramatic music and all this stuff, and then they're on the Viking longboat in the first scene, and one of the Vikings starts talking to the slaves, and he goes, okay, so just a little information for everybody. We're going to be arriving soon, so... Um, so that was good. And then started uh, Better Than Us, which is a, a Russian TV series. Um, it starts off with the Isaac Asimov's like laws of robotics, so it kind of sounds like iRobot. It basically is like iRobot in Russia, but the characters are really good. Um, a lot more complexity than I was expecting in the characters, so I was actually pretty impressed. Um, and then, oh, started Dairy Girls as well. So we watched a couple episodes. I have no idea what anyone said so far, um, but I'm like, I'm liking it. And then the only movie I actually watched this week was Crazy Rich Asians, which I had not seen before. What did you think about it? I liked it. I thought it was a good time. Yeah, I'm trying to go to I'm trying to go to Singapore. It was, I mean, almost entirely produced by them. It seems like, right? It's like Dalton's drone shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Singapore Tourism Department. Cool. Nice week. Uh, anything else? No, that was it. That was it. Nice. Wait, so were you watching these to completion, or was it just kind of dip your feet in, check out an episode, and see if you're vibing with it? Yeah, I dipped my feet in, and I I felt kind of bad doing it. Like, I'd only watched, the, I think, the first episode of Dark, and I was like, nah, I'm not really feeling that. And then I realized there's so many series that I didn't like the first episode, or even the first season of, but ended up loving as a whole but there's just there's so much TV now. I just don't even know how to how to have my attention captured long enough to watch every single one of these series. So yeah, kind of just bounced around. Um, but Messiah, we did watch all of, and uh, I think we're probably gonna watch all of Dairy Girls. I've been liking it a lot so far. Nice. Where are you watching that? I think that one's a Netflix original. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure Netflix. Sweet. Good list. Yeah. And Hank. Yeah, so um, I'm back to the light watch week. So I do have a couple items. It's not just nothing. Um, so uh, on the TV side of things, I've uh, I haven't watched a ton new. You know, I, I I always watch a lot of Bob's Burgers. I've also been throwing in a little bit of a uh, Bob Ross to the mix because who doesn't need some like happy little trees in their lives, right? Um, but on the like as far as new television. I decided to take a chance and try out Hulu's uh, The Unexplained with William Shatner, which is like a docu-series with William Shatner. Oh, I've like, heard of that. Oh my god, it's so awful. Like, on, on, honestly, oh, no. like, like the production value is great. Um, they have William Shatner and like, you know, wh- whatever you you'll say about him like as a person you know i think there 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 are uh, some conflicting opinions about william shatner in like the star trek communities and etc um but the man is a professional 
He says some of the most absurd things I have ever heard with such conviction. And I'm like, I'm not sure if he believes this, so I have to believe that he's just an abject professional. Um, so anyway, it's uh, not a good series, but uh, worth watching if you want to kind of watch it and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that's The Unexplained on Hulu. And that's all of my TV for the uh for the week i didn't get a chance for many movies in this week but i did get in one and oh my god what a stinker just not a great um viewing week for me i saw uh from hell which is like a i think a mid-late 90s movie starring johnny depp about uh jack the ripper and it's oh my god (laughs) like (laughs) just oh, no. i was watching it. i was like maybe this will be good i kind of like johnny depp you know and oh my god just so bad like the movie is just like just not at all grounded in reality like the, like 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 it's using like the whole background of jack the ripper but it's not staying true to like what happened in the case at all it was kind of like inexplicably mm-hmm. making it like a Freemason plot to kill all these prostitutes <laughs> because, of course, like that's that's the main thing on their plate, I assume. Classic Freemasons. Um, the British accents, uh, not good. Like there were some British people in the movie. Their accents were fine, but, but Johnny Depp's and I can't remember the name of the lead actress. Um, and I'm not going to look her up because the movie's not good enough for me to like try and name all the actors by name. But the two leads were not British, and their British accents were were, were not good. Um, but uh, pr- pretty good production value. So there's that. That and the, that and the unexplained both have good production value. But uh, definitely not a movie I'd recommend before like you know five to ten beers. Um. <laughs> it wasn't like a so bad it's good, right? It's like yeah. Jet, like- watch it just to poke fun at it you can kind of poke fun at it but the thing is it's it's very competently made you know like they're they're like it's it's not you know like a b horror movie where you're like ah you can see the mic boom in the shot ah you can see the seams on the costume like it's just like a totally dropped ball like it's people that should have known better you know um is it is it dark because like you know jack the ripper is a pretty dark i mean it's it's somehow dark and still not like as dark as it probably should be with jack the ripper that i like they they turn jack the ripper into like the supernatural force um which almost could have been cool except he's also somehow the leader of the freemasons um <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like it wasn't interesting enough before there wasn't it's enough like going two on. hours long like it's not a very short movie like oh, the no. whole movie it's like you're watching it you're like okay they can't they can't they can't possibly be doing this can they and then they do it um, <laughs> so anyway Ugh. would not recommend but uh you know i i i managed to have some fun with it by the time i was done watching it i was like man i can i can shit talk this on my <laughs> podcast um, <laughs> but uh i think there's a redeeming quality in the podcast that it's like even if you watch something and i, I felt this too if you watch something truly terrible you're like i don't have to just suffer alone i can bring down our 40 <laughs> to 70 weekly listeners <laughs> hey we get up to 100 sometimes yeah we do i don't think this one will but <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, from hell, it, it it it's a it's a stinker. Would not recommend. But it's on Hulu if you want to watch it. And it's got Johnny Depp if you're you know like really into his face in the '90s. Um. I will say I feel like it's kind of surprising, right? I think everything was there because I mean, like that was prime Johnny Depp. You had all his Tim Burton stuff. He was doing Sweeney Todd. He was doing Sleepy Hollow. I mean, this like British kind of like horror story centered on. Johnny Depp with a lot of fog. I mean, it writes itself, right? And it's just... Yeah, it absolutely... You know, I, I put it on because I was kind of like, yeah, it's it's they've got good subject matter. You know, like, even just sticking to the facts, they can make this super horrific. And then they just went somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird because it's still a good story because we don't know who he was. You know? Like, it's forever going to be a good story because we don't know who Jack the Ripper was, right? Yeah, and I mean, the story's even got good writing to go along with it. Like, if you've ever read Jack the Ripper's, or, you know, supposedly Jack the Ripper's letters um, that, you know, were released to the public, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, 
And this, the, you know, this movie based basically managed to ignore all of it. <laughs> God. Ugh. Uh, but anyway, that that was the only movie I got in this week. Yeah, just Keegan, a couple things. Relatively good? light. Uh, so two movies. I was in kind of a camp horror mood this week. So started off with, um, and I guess for context for this, so John Watts is the person that directed the first two of the newer Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland. And there's a whole debacle this week where they were going to be releasing the name of the third movie in the trilogy. And so I went into John Watts' IMDb because I didn't really, he was not like a director that stuck out to me. And he had done those, that trilogy, and he did a movie called Clown back in the day, which is about a guy that turns into like a horrifying, he's, I think he's a party clown. I've seen that one. It's terrifying, yeah. right? It's, I mean, it's the perfect camp horror. Yeah, it's like, actually that one I'll say was much more like actually disturbing than I really expected it to be yeah. going in. I, I expected like, there's no way this one can get me. Yep. Um, well, and so he has, then it did. There's five movies and it's the three Spider-Mans and then it's Clown. And then right in the middle, he made a movie called Cop Car. And I'm like, how does a man go from Stitches or from Clown <laughs> to the three Spider-Man movies? So what is this transition movie? So I checked it out. It's called Cop Car. I think it's 2014. It's a Kevin Bacon movie. Um, and it's Ooh. it's kind of like Nick Cage before Nick Cage was a thing. Like it's, I mean, he's screaming. He's crazy. It's basically about these two kids that find a cop car out in the woods. And they, it's abandoned. It has the keys in it. And they just go on a joyride. Um, and little do they know, the sheriff that abandoned the car had left a dead body in the trunk. And he is now hell-bent on regaining that car and getting it back um, at all costs. So it's a very low-budget horror movie, but it's really fun. Um, and I think it's really interesting that, you know, for all the things that people might have against Disney, I think they do a good job, both in Star Wars and Marvel, of picking these kind of smaller indie directors. You know, Taika Waititi, John Watts, these people that are going to, you know, bring a lot of, of kind of fun, campy genre stuff to the movies. So that was fun. Um, it's nothing too, like, serious or it's not going to make any lists, but I enjoyed it. After that, I watched a Shutter original called The Beach House. Hank, have you seen this? Uh, I actually don't have Shutter. Um, that is shocking to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, uh, I, 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 I would like to have it. I just, I don't manage to fit in enough like movies in a month to really justify another streaming service subscription. So, yeah. yeah. So this, is, I think it's a 2018 Shutter original. Um, real body horror, not quite on the level of The Void. Um, but it's gross. I mean, it, it made me turn away from the screen a couple times. Um, so if you're, you know, if you just watch The Void and you want to watch some, like, really gross prosthetics, uh, it's fun to check out. It's a 90-minute movie. Um, acting's, you know, terrible. Writing is nothing to, you know, write home about, no pun intended. But uh, it's a decent way to spend 90 minutes. And then... <laughs> It's, uh, <laughs> on the movie side, nothing much. And then the last thing is there was some news this week. I don't know if you guys are Avatar The Last Airbender fans, but um, uh, Mike and Brian, who are the two original creators of Avatar and then the sequel series Korra, um, Nickelodeon in their race, uh, in the streaming service race to get just original, or uh, sorry, non-original IPs out, uh, Nickelodeon granted them the access to get their own production studio. So Avatar Studios is going to be a thing starting in 21 and they already have money to make a movie and some spin-off shows based in the avatar franchise um and so i had never watched avatar the last airbender until last summer when i just binged it along with cora and then after i finished it i loved him so much i have went out and spent like three or four hundred dollars buying these thick thick hard covers of all of the dark horse comics that are sequel series um but through a couple of those i think i read through two of the books and one of the spin-off books um really fun they're done by some of the some actually some marvel artists who bring just like a ton of style and flourish to these um and mike and brian are co-writers on this so it is very true to the original story it doesn't feel like some kind of tacked on afterwards story so for anyone that's a fan i would definitely recommend checking out the comics especially since we're going to be potentially revisiting that world um, are you guys avatar fans core fans uh, I'm a big fan of Avatar. I've seen that series yeah. a couple times through. Um, I fell off with Korra, though. Korra wasn't hitting okay. the right notes for me. Uh, how far did you make to Korra? Because there's, I think, four seasons there. Uh, I think I made it like near to the end of season one. Um, I don't remember exactly what knocked me off of it. You know, it was years ago. It was when the show was first airing. But uh, yeah, I fell off of that one. It's worth a revisit. It's all on Netflix. Watch it now before it goes to Paramount+. Plus Because... 
God knows none of us need another streaming service at this point. <laughs> uh, I I tried I tried to watch Avatar: The Last Airbender a few months ago actually, um, and just I thought it was good. It's just you know obviously it's a kids show, and I just like couldn't get into it that much. But I have seen the live action movie, loved it, thought it. Was just, <laughs> kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> man! You totally got me there. <laughs> your guys' faces, your eyes got bigger and bigger. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know why. I think, I think it's just kid stuff. Sometimes I have a hard time getting into. But Keegan, do you know if their studio is going to be doing live action stuff, or is it going to be uh, animated? As far stuff? as it looks now, it's only animated. So it looks like they're going to do an animated movie, see how that fares, and then kind of like play into series. But yeah, no plans so far to do any live action. And so for history, uh, Mike and Brian had a contract with Netflix to do a live action remake of Avatar. Um, creative differences, they left the project like two months ago. And so everyone was kind of in limbo what's happening with the live action project, what's happening with Mike and Brian, and then out of nowhere, Nickelodeon just decided to shit money all over him and give him their own production studio. So I would heavily assume they're going to stray away from live action after <laughs> the the Shyamalan movie. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, definitely would recommend it. And I think that's all that we have been watching. So I will stop before we jump into our movie review for the week. I will remind everyone, we have a very sad barren email address. And we would love to do a question, uh, like a listener question episode. Uh, again, if you want to write in any comments, questions, concerns, you can reach out to us at rotatingreelspodcast at gmail.com. We are always checking that email. If you drop anything, you will uh, certainly get a spot in the next episode to answer your question. It doesn't even have to be about the podcast or about movies. If you guys just yeah. want to talk, we're happy to our addresses, life questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my social security number, you know. We're open books. <laughs> uh, cool. True that. <laughs> so with that, I think we'll move into the main review for the week. So being an A week, we're doing a movie that just recently aired, and that is 2021's Nomadland. Um, so this just became available for streaming on Hulu. It did the rounds at all the festivals last year. Um, and I also just want to say before we get into that, we are heading into a new season. So based on the premise of our show, because we're watching new movies, January is kind of seen as a, a month where studios will dump their crappy movies that they don't think are going to do very well at the box office. As you move into summer, you get your kind of more large-scale action blockbusters. I think we're kind of moving into a phase where the movies that we do on these every other week are going to be just, on average, a little bit higher quality. I think Nomadland is a good way to kind of kick that off. Um, so I'll read the IMB blurb for it really quickly. After losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. And I cannot think of a better time to review this movie. I don't know if you guys watched the Golden Globes, but that was last night. And Nomadland, who was nominated for four awards, took home two wins. The first one was it won Best Motion Picture Drama uh, as a whole, so the entire production won that. And then the second is that Chloe Zhao won Best Director for a Motion Picture. She was the first Asian-American woman to ever win that. Uh, so you're working with some pretty big powerhouses here. Frances McDormand, of course, won the Oscar in 2018 for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Another great movie. Um, of course, Chloe Zhao, who has done some you know, really great work. And in a recent Hollywood Reporter article, she was compared to Charlie Chaplin and Ang Lee in, quote, a long tradition of immigrant filmmakers who have told quintessentially American stories. So she directed a few shorts, and then she went on to make a movie in 2015 called Songs My Brother Taught Me. And then in 2017, she made a film called The Writer, which were pretty well-renowned in critic circles. And then she made No Man Land, and she's currently in post-production for Marvel's The Eternals, which is total phase four Marvel, crazy cosmic superhero stuff. Neil Gaiman was attached to be a writer at one point. Um, and then now she is uh, confirmed to be making a, the next movie, her, her next project, excuse me, is an upcoming science fiction Western retelling of Dracula. So with all that information about the movie, uh, it's gonna be insane. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's slated for 2022. But with all that information about Chloe Zhao and about Francis McDormand, gentlemen, what do we think about the movie? I think Hank kicked, no, Taylor kicked us off for what we've been watching. So Hank, what did you think about Nomadland? Yeah, so I'm going to be 100% honest. You know, I, I like Francis McDormand. I haven't seen anything that Chloe Zhao has made before. 
Um, but I kind of came into this movie just based on, you know, what little footage I had seen of it. I hadn't read a lot about it. I came into it being like, oh, man, I am ready for a bummer, I guess. Like, <laughs> I'm going to watch this because I said I would. And then I'll come on to the uh, the week the weekly podcast and review it and be like, yeah, it wasn't really my cup of tea. That's what I came in, uh, you know, totally ready to do and was so pleasantly surprised. Like, I was invested throughout the movie it like wasn't just an exercise in how bad can we make our audience feel which i don't know why i was expecting that but just like kind of based on the title and the subject matter i was like yeah this is going to be a ride um but anyway the movie i thought it was engaging even with a a, a fairly minimalist plot um i really like uh francis mcdormand's performance she's great in everything i've seen her in honestly i didn't have any doubts there and uh, I thought uh, both the direction and the cinematography were really good. Uh, you know, there were some really awesome, just kind of like general Americana shots, some really cool American landscapes. All of those worked for me. You know, I've gone on, on a lot of road trips uh, to like the Midwest, especially. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it looked, looked cool. Um, it, they're well-framed shots. They com were composed well, loved it. So overall, I, I was really surprised by enjoying the movie. I liked it. Um, and that's my kind of high-level bird's eye nice. take on it. Cool, cool. Taylor, what were your thoughts? <laughs> well, first off, just for our listeners out there, it's nomad land, all one word. Don't make the mistake I did. If you go to Amazon to look for it, there are three other films or TV series called No Man's Land. One is a 2001 war comedy about two guys stuck in a trench in the Bosnian War. Another is about a guy in Texas who shoots an immigrant kid and then has to go oh to Mexico or something. And then the other one is about, I didn't even, we didn't even watch it. So that's how many mistakes <laughs> I made trying to find this movie. So when I found the movie, I was, I was actually just cause like you said, Hank, I was pretty surprised. Um, not that, Frances McDormand uh, was good. She's always incredible, and it, it was a really interesting role for her. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But, um, yeah, everything was incredibly well done, every, every little bit of it. So, you know, hearing that it's won awards already, not surprised in the slightest. Um, that said, it's definitely a mood piece. It's definitely um, – not not a downer necessarily but it's slow i mean you gotta you gotta kind of gotta pay attention and let these gorgeous gorgeous shots of of the the mountains and the desert kind of wash over you to kind of get what the character's feeling because there's plenty of scenes with hardly any dialogue at all so you got to kind of be invested to get the full reward from it but um yeah very very cool. very well done movie so keegan what, yeah. what did you think? um man I feel like I'm just consistently kind of the downer. And I think for people that kind of listen to the podcast, I think there's just me doting on movies that I recommend or me just being kind of okay on stuff. And I think I love the movie. I think it was a really, you know, I'm, I'm very happy I watched it. But I think, Hank, I kind of lean towards the way that you would originally describe your sentiment towards it in the beginning. Um, I put off watching this movie until last night usually i'll watch a movie kind of midpoint between when we recommend it and then when we actually are going to record our review uh i think it's everything you guys have said is completely true um you know francis mcdormand oscar winner i think you know no one has any doubts about the quality of her acting we have some really great performances from some people that are full life nomads and van dwellers um very convincing especially you know you kind of ride that tricky line of bringing in people that are professional actors to this you know relatively big production i think they did a great job cinematography is great directing is great um it's just something i didn't feel that i really personally connected with too much um and i think that it's kind of a lonely isolating movie and i think maybe some of my opinions on it might actually be a little bit intentional um it kind of strays from a three arc structure and, and takes this kind of meandering through the u.s kind of attitude and i think as i watched the movie there were times where i was less interested and there was times when i'd really tune in especially towards the end where i was just completely locked in and enthralled by what i was seeing um so yeah i think overall i'd say this is a movie that uh yeah technically incredibly well made i think there's parts that i connected with it much more than others it's a movie that i think everyone here should certainly go watch um but something that I think 
maybe with the more stylish movies that we've watched, I think like even Suspiria, there were things that I think uh, spoke to maybe like more genre sensibilities or things that I was maybe more personally connected to. So uh, overall, loved it, but didn't quite, you know, have that put it in my top 10 of 2021 list kind of attitude towards it. Yeah. And hmm. I don't know if I'd put it in my top 10 of 2021 either. Um, because it's not a horror movie and my top 10 of 2021 are going to be horror movies. Um, but I think that's kind of why I reacted so positively to it. Not that I wouldn't, not because I wouldn't put it in my top 10, but because I went in just prepared to not really enjoy it at all and managed to enjoy it pretty thoroughly, even though it's not something I think I'm probably going to go back and sure. watch again necessarily. Like there are just too many movies coming out. But I felt like I had the, the time I spent with it was was well spent. I'm glad I saw the vision that was uh mm-hmm. that was created on screen. Yeah, yeah, it was very rewarding to watch. Um certain scenes more so than others. But um I when it was over I was, you know, sorta of, sorta of glad it was over. I mean it's sort of like we were talking actually in the in the pre-show about what are the spoilers like are, do we do we even need a spoiler or non-spoiler section um and so i think you know within the first i don't know 15 20 minutes yeah. you, you kind of get most of what's going on i mean it, it doesn't really get that different even the scenery everything else um so I, when it was over i was sort of i was glad to have have watched it and to have witnessed it but mm-hmm. not something i would go and it's an interesting movie again. to kind of you know think about doing this kind of review or dissection of and you know a lot of times whenever we do these reviews it's it's fairly easy for me to break down the points that i want to bring up or like the structure of questions that i want to walk you guys through if i'm leading it and thinking about you know last night when i was watching this i was like man i you know it's technically a keegan review week of a modern movie what kind of questions do i lead into it there's it's it's a very difficult movie to approach from that perspective of, of different parts of it right like i just think the structure of it's very different i think it it yeah in similar ways about how you're talking about Crazy Rich Asians where, I mean, that's a very narrative focused movie, but in ways that it's just like, you want to go visit Singapore. I think it's very similar in that this is just kind of a love letter to, you know, the American West and, and the landscapes that, that you can see by spending your retirement age driving through it. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a movie that I think if I watched at an older age, I might have a little bit more of a connection to. I think the, the central characters are all people who have a lot of lived experiences I think that's something that kind of binds them together. Um, and maybe I think that's something that keeps me from, you know, being someone that's only 25. I think it, it maybe acts as a little bit of a barrier for me understanding all of the themes of the movie. Um, but again, I mean, just to bring it back to Chloe Zhao, you know, I think Chloe Zhao is only 35 years old and she's from Beijing. So she didn't grow up in America. She doesn't have, you know, this this long history of going on American road trips. So for someone that's ostensibly like an outsider to the culture who's still relatively young to you know only use the book as a jumping off point to make this movie man it really really taps into a lot of very small niche things about american culture that i really appreciated yeah yeah i actually didn't know anything about the director um until you just were talking about her now keegan so that's all the more impressive because you're right i mean i i grew up going on road trips especially Mm -hmm. in the west so i feel like i've been to some of those places that we saw um and I also, you know, spent a couple months by myself actually driving around the United States. So, like, wanderlust, being on the road, being alone um, are all things I have experience with. And I, I guess I appreciate, yeah, it's not, it's not a, it's not a three-act movie, right? It's a very non-traditional, non-linear sort of approach. Um, but there were interesting themes that I kind of wanted more time on, right? Like, in the very beginning, it, it we, before we even get on the road, really it's sort of talking showing what it's like to be um the working poor in america which is not something that gets shown in movies a lot it's not something that gets uh, dramatized a lot um and so i i kind of wanted more of that i even if it was just from other characters talking about their experiences and then in the second half of the movie you really kind of they, they mention it explicitly right having a tribe so all these nomads get together i wasn't sure if it was once a year or whatnot um but they all kind of get together and they said now you have this little tribe and i thought that was could have been really interesting that we're exploring the how this person doesn't have any connections really anymore doesn't have much family left their partners their spouses passed away they don't have kids um and they really are very much alone in a way that a lot of people aren't and i thought that could have been more interesting i know it wasn't necessarily the point of the movie but there were some powerful themes i kind of wanted more exposition on or more reflection on that we didn't get um 
And I think it would have made it a little bit more entertaining, especially in some of those those down scenes. So that that's my only real critique of the movie. But that's like I'm trying to fit this movie into a three act traditional movie setup, right? So if you don't, if the director didn't want to do that, then you don't necessarily need any of those things. Then it's just a visual journey with this this woman. Yeah, and you know, kind of building on that, you know, you're, you're saying you would like some more exposition uh related to certain themes and i thought it was actually really interesting how throughout the entire movie they really avoided uh exposition at least in like the most direct sense there were a whole lot of scenes where the only reason you knew what was going on was not because like something had happened in the previous scene that kind of clued you into what was going to be happening in the scene but because you were watching the scene currently and you're able to piece together what must have happened to lead to this and i thought that was like a really interesting way of kind of handling the story because it made it feel like it wasn't really being driven forward so much as it was kind of happening and we were kind of getting you know kind of zoomed in at moments um and it kind of made me wonder what the goal was there. Um, not not that I think it was like a pointless endeavor, but, you know, I, I felt it kind of hard to know what the intent of the movie was at times, because, you know, if, if it had been like very plot driven, I would have felt like it was trying to give a message. But as a mood piece, you know, where we're just kind of zooming into specific points, I had to think like, why are these the points we're seeing? Um, yeah. I, I stopped I stopped doing that like I, I was doing that at first and then I think it was uh, the scene when she's in those crazy rock formations and she's kind of like just running around and I'm thinking why why is she doing this why are we seeing it and then I kind of just stopped doing that and I enjoyed myself a little bit more because I, uh, I I guess not that there's not a point to it but focusing on the point is not the point itself right like it's it's this is not trying to be a narrative exposition about great moments or about, you know, whatever. It's just showing us a life, basically. Yeah, and, you know, that was, I think, something that I kind of came to after I'd spent the entire movie, like, trying to figure out what the point was so I could (laughs) talk about it on my film review podcast, you know? Like, it's not something I always do in my life. I don't always, like, look for the point. But, you know, I, I figured, like, you know, if there is a point here, I don't want to be the reviewer that totally fucking missed it <laughs> on my film review podcast. And so I spent the whole movie trying to be like, what was the point? And I got to the end of the movie. I'm like, you know, like maybe there wasn't a point, you know, which is something that I, I often kind of like think to myself about movies. Like, yeah, you know, there, there wasn't really a point like horror movies. Sometimes like I feel like there wasn't really a point, but it was still fun, you know. But I went into this movie so ready for it to be making a point that I was kind of caught off guard by there not being a point. But I feel like if I had gone in kind of expecting less of like a message, and I don't know why I was expecting a message again. And, you know, I feel like it's just something I kind of get with a lot of these like indie type films. Um, but anyway, I was expecting there to be a point the whole time. Taylor, like you said, like, you gave up kind of looking for the point and found it more enjoyable. And after the movie, when I decided there wasn't like a easily discernible single point, I was like, man, I could have just, you know, kind of let it wash over me. And I probably would have had like, even, you know, not that I had a bad time, but I would have had maybe even like a little bit better of a time with it. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, that's what was uh, in in a way a little bit frustrating. I mean, frustrating is way too strong of a word, like a little bit irksome maybe Um, was the, we saw scenes of of the main character and it was exactly what you said hank that like why are we seeing this scene right like i i wasn't i didn't really think the movie was going to make some big grand point about you know poverty or about family or or anything like that Um, but i did want points from the character like i did want to see i did want to know why the character's running around in this rock formation because it's you know it's it's a not odd behavior but it's just different right it's a it's a part of the personality of this character and we never it's not like i need an explanation but it's just it just seemed like okay all right she ran around with the rocks next next scene right i mean there's there's not there wasn't really any reason for the character to do it and so that was a little a little irksome yeah it feels like especially i feel like you can't have amazon in your movie and not feel like it's going to push home a major point right and maybe that's because we were all in seattle together and we know a lot of Seattle or, you know, Amazon employees, but it feels like whenever you have this kind of small movie that's focusing on, you know, this person that's kind of, you know, down bad and, and hurt for money, you would assume that bringing in the largest corporation 
in the world it's going to have some you know larger implications to it and why would they not just do a no-name company if, if there wasn't some point to amazon but again it's just similar to what you had talked about earlier hank of just being about the working poor um it's not a glamorous job it's not something that like you know she it's not any kind of career like she maybe had with the the company in empire or you know anything that could help her move along it's just kind of this seasonal thing that she does to just pay enough to keep her van parked yeah i mean even the you know we they mentioned the united states gypsum by name and how the mine closed and i thought i looked up the company i was curious if it was based on a true story of, of a mine closing and, and indeed it was um and it was this is a little bit of an aside but i think relevant so the uh united states gypsum's like really old formed after the great depression um and it decades later had a lot of problems with asbestos claims the company was going to go bankrupt it actually did go into bankruptcy filing um, while it continued to operate and so part of the cost saving stuff it eventually did was to close this mine um and you know you can look at it from like a corporate finance perspective and like it made a lot of sense right it seemed like a good business strategy in that moment and it totally upset this woman's life i mean it, it totally obliterated her life in a very real way and I don't think we need to like have her talking about United States gypsum necessarily, but it just seems so interesting to like name drop a real thing, just like Amazon, and then to have no real purpose mm -hmm. to that. Like, what, what, why did it have to be centered in a real story? Did that add anything? Did it, did it, you know, I just, I'm just wondering out loud because I don't think the movie gives us anything, doesn't give us any answers to these questions. But I just thought it was an interesting choice that we're seeing so much real stuff for not an obvious reason. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, of two minds on it. You know, there's one part of me that feels like, you know, including those things. Cause as far as I know, the, uh, the core story of the, of the film is not like an entirely true story. It's some fictionalized telling of, of events that, that correct Keegan. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, if you, you know, tell a fictionalized story involving all of these very real elements, you know, real, you know, Amazon, U.S. gypsum. I kind of go in expecting you to be kind of saying something about those real elements. And so there's a part of me that, that thinks, you know, like, why include them if you're not going to? It, it seems almost like kind of false messaging. Though, to be fair, that's just based on my expectations. That's not, you know, some hard set rule. But on the other hand, you know, my, my other mind about it is that, you know, maybe it just kind of helps ground the story. You know, it tells you from the beginning, like, this is going to be like a real mundane story. You know, the things we see, you know, we have people working at Amazon plants. There are tons of people working at Amazon plants. You probably know someone working at an Amazon store, an Amazon warehouse, you know, like it does kind of help to ground the movie in a way. So, I don't know, there's part of me that thinks, like, it felt like it was setting me up for something that never came. And there's another part of me that feels like it kind of sells the mundanity of the situation in a very convincing way from the get-go. Um, and it could do both, or it could do neither. I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, again, I think it's really just meant to be Fern's story. And I think U.S. Gypsum is just... It's similarly to how it's presented in the story, I think it's kind of just this figment of the past of her life. And I, you know, given the characters that she meets in the tribe later and how she just makes all these relationships, it's just one of any story that we're gonna hear. And I think, you know, the the woman talks about how her and her friend had worked in corporate America for twenty years and how her friend passed away and he, you know, he was like negotiating his his benefits with HR right up until the day he died. Like, I mean that's another thing where that company could have been named just as U.S. Gypsum and Amazon were, and you know probably served just as much importance to the to the character of Fern, you know, moving through her nomadic transformation. Um, but again, I think they're they're relatively small. I think that the part that Empire and Gypsum end up playing in her life are really just more to do with her husband and the fact that her and her husband live there. I think any kind of worldly attachments that Fern has are not to her old life or her house where. You know, she can look out and see, you know, desert and desert and desert. I don't think she has any personal attachments to those. And when she, you know, returns to that home, it doesn't feel like she cares about the home at all. If, if anything, just kind of the memories of the life that she had there and her life with her husband there. So I think 
you know, it's it's really just kind of this set dressing. And in a way, I think we had this conversation when we were talking about Porco Rosso about, you know, this is not the most interesting event that we could have seen in Marco's life, right? Like, there are tons of other stories throughout yeah. his, you know, 40, 50 years of life that would have been infinitely more entertaining from an action or, you know, screenplay perspective to watch. But, you know, we're seeing them in this very kind of quiet, you know, very easy to watch cinematography kind of lens. Um and so I, I did see a lot of similarities between the two, even though they're obviously tackling very different subject matters. Yeah, I, I mean, Hank, I think I'm more with with the first part of your mind, um, because I, I was really struck in the first. I don't want to say first act, because it's not really an act, but the the first the first third of the movie. Um, I just can't get out of that. My brain <laughs> has been so trained to think in terms of three acts. Um, but I, I the beginning of the movie. Um, she's already houseless right she's living in her van and uh she's living in the intermountain west so it's high altitude and it's winter and it's really cold and a lot of people are trying to help her right everybody even if they're not trying to help her everybody she encounters is pretty nice to her right there's not an obvious boogeyman in the room right she's not she's not furious with u.s gypsum she's not upset in any big things that have happened in the world that have had an impact on her life but and so I thought that was just a really interesting juxtaposition that she can be going through a really crappy time and everyone around her is being genuinely pleasant to her and trying to help her. Um, but I, I kind of thought it was I, I wanted more of that because, you know, even when she's she's you know, she's parked outside the gas station and the gas station manager comes and says, hey, it's, it's really cold here at night. There's a church you can go to if you want. She's even saying, I don't want to overstep my bounds. Right. She's trying to respect Fern's um, you know autonomy even though she's living in her van on the parking on the gas station lot um, but Fern was in a real bad place you know like if she had fallen and broken her hip or, or if something else had happened right she's a in a very very vulnerable state um, and I kind of thought that was a little bit was, the whole movie in a way was sort of a, a disservice to, to that vulnerability so like when she's meeting the other nomads some of them appear to be people that are out there because they like the lifestyle. There was a guy who uh, was a veteran and had PTSD and basically seemed like he retired out there because he wanted to be away from people. Um, but it seemed like there were a lot of people that were older people that couldn't, didn't have the financial means to retire um, the way they thought they would and didn't have a support network, family, whatever around them. And so they're just really alone and vulnerable. And there's, I, I appreciate that we're finding beauty um, and friendship and, and love even in those circumstances. But I think it, I mean, it, it just seems like omnipresent that some of these people are in a real bad place. And I'm glad that they're finding happiness or whatever, but you know, when Fern's tire goes flat, right? And the other lady totally scolds her and she goes, this is serious, you're out here alone, you could freeze to death if no one finds you. I mean, that was the only moment where I felt we really got some of the heaviness people are going through. And so, like, I, not that I wanted Fern to blame U.S. Gypsum for her circumstances, but I just kind of wanted m something more around how she, through no real fault or anything of her own, ended up in this really, really bad place. And then we can get the interestingness of people being friendly around her despite the bad circumstances or, or, or whatever else. Yeah, I think the movie actually, I feel like it kind of shies away from exploring either side of that kind of emotional threshold like it never really goes into even in the moments that we're meant to think these are you know kind of uplifting happy moments or you know those those dark times that you talked about where the movie shows her at the beginning i don't think it really shows the magnitude of how like scary this experience could be or like even when the movie means to show like how beautiful her experience is afterwards like it just it doesn't feel like it really goes all in and in a way it almost feels kind of like melancholic about it it always just kind of has this yeah. like a little bit of like dry disconnect um yeah I mean, we're seeing like these beautiful shots of her on a lawn chair looking over like you know some of the continental u.s's most beautiful landscapes and still like i never felt like oh this is this is the true happiness that fern wanted right like she's she's given so many opportunities to have a more permanent home and, and to be comfortable and you know it's not glamorous right she could live in her sister's guest house she could you know live with dave's family and she turns those away to you know live in her van and you would hope there's some kind of like happiness happiness or solace that she's taking from that but it, it doesn't feel like it really gives us that kind of triumphant like this is where she belongs it just feels like this is how her mind is hardwired and this is what she's going to continue to do 
Yeah, I when there I forget who it was. I, maybe it was the kind of leader of the nomads, the Santa Claus guy. Uh, Bob um, Wells. But somebody kind of is yeah, somebody's kind of asking her what she wants or what she wanted and she it's I think one of the few scenes where we really get a lot of her reflecting on her own life and she says she just wanted her husband and he loved empire he loved working in in the the mine and so she loved it there because he loved it there and so like you know keegan when you were saying she doesn't have connection to the house or the stuff i think that's right but it was the house and the stuff that enabled her to have that life that she loved with her husband right and so i don't think that she wanted to be a nomad i think it's just the situation she was forced into and had and had to deal with and uh it's i mean in in some ways it's it's very admirable that she's not looking at it that way right she doesn't appear to be thinking about how did this happen and whatever Mm -hmm. else right she's just thinking okay now i'm going down the road and so there's like something pretty there in that um but i don't know man i i the situation where her tire went flat that was where i really felt like i mean she she could be in a real real bad place real easily here and we're just kind of skating over it like it's not yeah I, I mean she meets a woman who's in equal dire straits right like she helps the woman out and then this woman is a little bit holier yeah. than thou I, it, fairness in her scolding but also you know once she stops and helps her the woman is you know, doubled over and throwing up and you know massively dehydrated so i agree that i think it, it could have done more to explore kind of the like depravity and, and how horrific some aspects of this are yeah yeah i i don't know like i hadn't thought of it when i was watching the movie but kind of hearing it described through this lens it almost kind of sounds like a movie about depression you know yeah like it's like you know something <laughs> really terrible happens and she doesn't react to it in any big way she you know just kind of packs up her things and gets going and people are like hey do you want things to be better and she doesn't really change anything. She just kind of packs up her things and keeps going. And that's the entire movie. And then it ends there with her kind of packing up her things and keeping on going. You know, like the numbness of her reactions to everything, you know, like wh- whether it's intended or not feels like almost like a a, a, a depiction of depression, you know, like, all, all, and, you know, I, I feel like, uh, I don't know, there, there, there could be something there just just kind of hearing you guys talk about how disconnected she is from from both ends of the emotional spectrum and you know that's kind of what depression feels like a lot it's not a bunch of like really deep lows it's a bunch of you know just complete levelness um not in a good way do you so i i thought that in the when i was watching it i thought maybe that's going to be the story we're getting before i abandoned that hope and realized there i didn't think there really was a, a point um to what we're seeing but do you do you think I maybe missed that? Like maybe that was indeed the main thrust was that this lady's depressed and this is just about how she's going to deal with that by having to live in her van and drive around. I know I feel like it could be, but again, because of kind of the overall beautiful nature of, of the movie, you know, it's really beautiful to look at. She's having some like really genuinely positive experiences and that's kind of what it ends on, you know, like this like sense of community. She goes back to Empire and, you know, gets rid of her belongings. There there's this this kind of ending that kind of implies closure without really changing anything. But anyway, yeah. because of that implication of closure, that's like kind of the reason that I'm a bit hesitant to say this is a movie about depression. Because that's not how closure from depression works you don't just you know go to a bonfire and then everything's okay and you keep doing exactly what you're doing you know (laughs) um i i thought she was gonna live with somebody right she was gonna end up settling down whether it was her sister or that perhaps love interest i thought she's gonna settle down and that's when she's gonna get that closure she's gonna start to at least process the grief she's been in but you're right it it doesn't doesn't happen yeah so i guess overall I really enjoyed the movie, but it seems to me like it's a movie that could have been about a number of things, but I wasn't convinced that it was about any of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, cool. yeah. And especially, I mean, given the fact that it's, you don't cast this enormous superstar actress without knowing that that's kind of, I mean, it's going to, it's critically, that's where your eye goes to is just to Frances McDormand and her character. So I think, this kind of high functioning depression that we were just talking about is a very big part of her character and it's you know i i actually kind of really like that angle that it's like her just kind of moving on through her day with kind of lackluster attitude you know, she approaches things with grace but she's not always 
seemingly overjoyed by even the really beautiful things in her life. I, I really like that angle. I think it's like just another component of this late stage of her life. And I think, I think it's an angle that I like more than some of the things that I've been reading online. Like a lot of the takes are very like, this is a late stage capitalist movie about how capitalism has failed certain individuals. And I think once again, that's, you know, it's an element that is clearly, you know, evident throughout the movie of how, you know, em, you know, Hershey, Pennsylvania and Empire, Nevada, like these, these large corporate cities were once a thing. And now people are, are all displaced by those companies going under or, you know, moving away from those places. But it's, you know, it's just one facet of, of this character. And we're with her for maybe a year. It's kind of not clear how much time we spend with her, but it's all just kind of, you know, baked into the components of, of who she is as a person. So, you know, I actually like that, that angle. And I think it gives me more, more respect for the movie. <laughs> it, I mean, it could it could have been a movie about late stage capitalism. It could have been a movie about a bunch of yeah. things, but I I don't think it it tried to do that. And to your point about how long the time was, so this is actually something I wanted to bring up. Twice we see her celebrating New Year's by herself, which to me was really interesting because we're not we there's nothing else we're really given in the movie to establish how much time's passing. Right, we get the seasons a little bit. She goes back to Amazon at certain times of the year. It seems like, but we're never given dates. I mean, we're never given hard dates about anything, and yet she celebrates New Year's twice. So I was like, "Why? Are, you've really, really tried to tell us that a year has passed, and I don't, I don't know why." <laughs> like, if you just wanted to show her celebrating alone, you could have picked another holiday. But I, I don't know. That was just a little interesting thing I noticed and couldn't quite put my thumb on. Yeah, and that's, I don't know, like, I think we've kind of circled around. There are a lot of elements of this movie that are they're, they're interesting to look at individually. They look great on screen, but it's a little bit hard to tell if they, you know, like, mean anything in the context of the film as a whole. And I think that passage of time is one of those elements. Because you're right, we do see two New Year's celebrations. But for the rest of the movie, we have no idea what the passage of time looks like. We don't know if we're seeing scenes jump from minute you know hour to hour month to month like we get some idea you know she's traveled so it must have been maybe a couple days or something but you know it could have been a couple years too there's you know it's 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 not like watching a child grow up where like from year to year she's going to look completely different like we're really given no waypoints she doesn't have any constant people in her life to give us you know like good markers to tell time by so i'm inclined to believe that those two new year's celebrations the the distance between them in time probably doesn't mean a whole lot in the context of the film um though i do think they were both good to watch yeah i mean they're beautiful scenes right i mean emma mcdormand what what walking around with a sparkler and a little tiara by herself like she's gonna make that you know a very compelling representation of this complex character right that that's not the question the question is why why do that right you've chosen a very specific point in time yeah i don't know yeah don't have an answer so i guess you know i i think we've gone over really most parts of the film that all three of us have any feelings on is there anything specific any of us wanted to touch on before we get to our rating segment uh i had a question to you guys and i think this is something that as we have been in covid for a year and as things like you know even though people are working and as work structures kind of change has this kind of nomadic lifestyle or like road life or even living in a van with some kind of centralized location has any of this life appealed to you or been something that you've given serious thought to at any point in your life um you know there there definitely been moments in my life where i've thought about like moving around a lot but surprisingly the past year hasn't really been one of them you know like of of the of the few things i can take comfort in um like one of the big ones is is my girlfriend who's just a rock in my life but the other big one is my very comfortable apartment you know like i like (laughs) my things um and you know like if i can't go anywhere else it's like kind of nice knowing that i have this one place that i can be and i can be very comfortable so this past year like is probably one of the few times in my life that I've felt least inclined to start moving around a lot. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I, I you know, spent a couple months driving around the United States by myself. So I like, kind of did that nomad thing. Um, and I actually, that was one thing I did like in the movie. Remember when she meets that younger guy 
and she's like trying to get involved in his life a little bit and he's super weird like the way he talks is like clearly an affectation right this kid does not say like oh they went up to the northlands or whatever he says like he has some really says some really interesting things um that is totally something I have encountered. People where you you run into them and you're like, you are a real character, and I don't want to be any more involved in your life than I already am. But I'm enjoying this. Uh, but now, now that I'm now that I'm older, man, I I have absolutely no interest in being a nomad. I like all my stuff. I like I got my cats and my dog. I don't I don't want to go drive around for a couple months. That also I'm really tall, so like the idea of trying to live in a van. Or, actually, when I was watching the movie, I was looking up RVs. I was like, what is the average uh, head height in an RV? It wouldn't be good for me. I would have my head constantly like craned down. So it's just not feasible for me. For the record, what's your height? Uh, I'm oh, six six. <laughs> yeah it's yeah not great for a it's man. something i've thought about i it, it's to what you said hank this is something i thought about before covid but you, being in a time where you really need to be centralized to one location and not spreading yourself across all of the united states where you could potentially infect other people uh yeah i really like having a central location i, I think all of us kind of had these grand ideas at some point like i remember when i first moved up to seattle i, I was like i'm paying a shitload for rent if I multiply this monthly monthly rent payment times twelve, I could buy a nice van, man. It's like a twenty thousand dollar van. Put some solar panels on it, and I had this grand road idea that I'd be road tripping to you know Vancouver, BC, and mountain biking and meeting all these fun people. And then uh, you know you just you have a nice apartment, and you really it's, it is not as alluring as an idea as you might think it might be. So I think it's. Uh, kind of a, a fun idea to, to play around with but not anything that you'd ever really want to pursue. what about a boat i still in the back of my head even though it wouldn't be practical have a fantasy of living on a giant boat a sailboat oh with... man i don't know why i uh i don't know i i've spent i've spent some time boating um <laughs> and you know like oh, i just think it would be a nightmare to live on a boat like moorage is so expensive stormy weather <laughs> yeah. is so much more of an issue than you're used to like you yeah. know the, the toilet situation <laughs> like there's just like you, you can you can be tied up at a dock and you know if the waves get heavy enough you might not even sleep well like there's there's just so much that goes into it i i think it's uh really romantic in the mind's eye <laughs> like to okay, be clear hey, i love you boating ha- you know like i go on a boat for a couple weeks i just don't know if i could do it for the rest of my life <laughs> Okay, so Hank, if the three of us rotating reels has to live on a boat together for a year, how big would the boat need to be for you to want to do that? Um, I mean, at least sixty feet. Within man. within reason. At least sixty feet. At least sixty feet. How big yeah. is that's freaking okay. huge, right? I don't know anything about boats. I mean, I've spent boat. a lot of time on like a forty-five foot boat with, uh, you know, like with my family. You know, two parents, my little brother, and even when we were children, you know, it got a bit cramped. Um, I think like, you know, three adult men with significant others, we need at least 60 feet. No, yeah. this is just the three of yeah. us. They're not this is a, no this is a rotating thing. reels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, okay. You know, in that case, you know, like 50 feet. <laughs> so two 50-foot boats, the rotating reels, and then the rotating reels girl. <laughs> this is the, the yeah, boat. I think a Hobie cat would be fine for us, honestly. I think we'd get to know each other well. Awful. Uh, okay, are we ready for our ratings? Have we dissected every bit of this movie? I am good yeah, on the part. I think we've dissected everything that we can, you know, dissect if someone hasn't watched the movie. And if they have watched the movie, I think they've gotten more from it than they can probably get from our discussion. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> for this one in particular, for every other movie, watch it and then watch Rotating Reels. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, I'm giving give my rating. Oh, you bastard. I'm gonna We're give all trying it, to go first. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take yours. I'm giving it 8 out of 10 rocks put into the fire. Nice. Hank? It could have gone 9 out of 10 if it had picked one of those themes, any one of them, and really yeah. explored it. I, I would have I'm, – I'm just a – I'm a sucker for a good, a good theme. So. Yeah, so I'm thinking like – hmm, maybe like 14 out of 16 seasonal workers – <laughs> uh, that's good that was good hank i like I'm that i'm shocked no one took okay i i it seems like there's a very clear you know you called i didn't it. know we, that we were actually gonna lay dibs that. on it but 
Uh, you know, I will go with a 35 out of 40 horrific indoor tub shits. <laughs> <laughs> that's from the movie. It's from the movie. It's not just kicking Maybe. me weird. I don't know. I just, you know, that's the biggest thing. Whenever you're like, you know, you're mentally tallying up whether or not you can do van life. You start looking at these, you know, you watch the YouTube videos and these guys are talking about these crazy nice compost toilets. And at the end of the day, you're a grown man shitting in a litter box. And it's <laughs> not something I ever want to do. <laughs> and and the litter box is 18 inches from your bed. <laughs> Dude, that's the best part. And you're wiping your ass with downy paper towels. <laughs> oh. Are those composable? That's what she used in the movie. She she didn't have any TP and she reached around and she <laughs> you noticed it was brawny. <laughs> Hey man, Bronny's soft at least, you know. It's got it's, there's got a lot of body to that paper. You know? I'm a wet wipe only man. I'm far gone from the from the Bronny paper towel days. I could never. Okay, we need to stop oh, this immediately, man. or yeah, we're gonna we lose our viewer counts. <laughs> um, All right. Any final All words right, so... before we do next movie? I, I think my final words. You know, we talk a lot about the movie being kind of hard to read. You know, like. I, I, I don't want that to discourage anyone from seeing this. It's two hours well spent. I thoroughly enjoyed my time. Even if I wouldn't spend two hours doing it again, you know, that doesn't mean that it's you know not good enough to watch again. That just means that I have a lot of other movies to watch for the first time. You know, that first view is the most important to me. So anyway, two hours well spent. Definitely recommend this one. Yeah, I, I'd recommend it too. Um but it's definitely it's definitely got a time and place when I think it's best enjoyed. So if you want if you want action and and a lot of a lot of exposition, you're not going to get it. Um, but if you just want to kind of a movie that you can chew on, because look at us. I mean, we've been we've been chewing on this for an hour, and there weren't even anything we could spoil. There's not even spoilers in this movie, and we've already been chewing on it for an hour. So um, there's definitely a lot there, and the acting performance, the the lead, obviously is incredible. I mean, it's not it's not a particularly um, fascinating character for for me at least but uh she did a tremendous job yeah definitely i I think this is a movie that is uh well worth the two hours you're going to spend with it uh it's a phenomenal movie i think it's a movie that you know again i would give a nine out of ten on a, a technical side um if you're in kind of the you know award season mindset you want to watch something that's a little bit more i wouldn't quite say it's art house but it does kind of have a smaller indie feel it's not quite your your big blockbusters this is maybe a, a smaller theater like a regional theater you'd watch this at definitely the right movie um again nothing else has to be said about francis mcdormand chloe Zhao's, you know directing is phenomenal and i think even the the smaller parts is one of the things that really kind of blew me away is that we have these these real people that are nomads and uh kind of the last thing that i wanted to wrap up on is that final monologue by bob wells when he i mean he really can't bring himself to talk about the passing of his son and these events that have pushed him into this nomad life and he's kind of worked himself up to be this monolithic figure in the in the van life community and he he leads this this really beautiful tribe of elderly people and he's a real guy i mean you can look him up he he has plenty of youtube videos walking people through how to set up solar panels or how to you know you know find parking lots to sleep in overnight i mean he really he's the real deal and i was like this is 100 percent the actress francis mcdormand talking with the guy bob wells and i read the screenplay and that's i mean that's written by chloe Zhao. that's not any kind of monologue maybe it's particular to his life but these these people that are you know no names in the acting community really bring these powerful performances because you don't recognize their face you know Frances McDormand does bring a certain amount of like critical baggage with her where you're expecting a certain amount from her but these people that you are really believing to be van like people turn out these phenomenal performances that really really hit me straight in the feels and had me pretty emotional towards the tail end of the movie overall I mean great movie I would absolutely recommend you check it out yeah cool well i think that wraps up oh sorry go ahead oh so i just wanted to say um with that we have to announce what we're watching next week we do we do so this is gonna be a keegan recommendation week we've actually made it full circle so we originally started with pieces of a woman and then porco rosso and now we're back to my second recommendation which is a pretty big milestone we've made a full cycle um and so we will be watching a movie that i personally love and i can promise that the two of you 
and anybody listening to this podcast has never heard of it. I have a little bit of a spiel written about it. So while I loved Parasite in 2019, entirely earned all of the buzz that it got, this movie that we're going to watch was my personal favorite film of the year, and it was completely snubbed during award season without a single nomination. It was made on a $6 million budget and only pulled in $2.5 million worldwide. It's a movie that I saw in theaters at the time and enjoyed so little during the first half that I considered walking out during the screening. That being said, gun to my head, this is pretty likely one of my top 10 movies of all time. Don't let that dictate any of your opinions on the film because this week we're going to be watching the 2019 Trey Edward Schultz masterpiece, Waves. So this is a movie that you should not watch a trailer for, and I'm going to break tradition this week and not read the IMDb blurb, and I don't think anyone listening should either. You should watch this blind. It's on Showtime streaming. It's on premium VOD. Uh, You can also watch it on legal adjacent websites if you're so inclined. I'm super stoked to talk about it. It's an incredibly emotional movie. I have a lot of personal attachment to this movie, and I cannot say enough good things about it. Trayvor Schultz, this was his junior, like his junior movie. His first movie was uh, called Krishna, and it was a family drama. He went on to make uh, what Co- or It Comes at Night, which was an A24 horror film. And then this was his third movie. Super indie, super, super good. And I'm not going to say a single word about it. Okay, I'm definitely intrigued. Um I have to say what I'm expecting is that it's secretly going to be a Ryan Gosling performance. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't know. Keegan Tran fancies himself to be Ryan Gosling light. Yeah. And so for context, we have a group chat that I've just been getting absolutely roasted for in my love of Ryan Gosling. La La Land is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. These freaking smooth brains have no appreciation for the movie whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know if love is the right word. Maybe obsession, maybe unhealthy obsession is the right word, Keegan. Yeah, I can back that up. He's a phenomenal actor, guys. We're all <laughs> missing out by, you know. I'll show the tattoo at some point. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Once I think that's enough to wrap. Once it up. we get a thousand, a thousand five star reviews, Keegan will show the tattoo <laughs> Cool. All right, I, and with yeah. that, I think we conclude our uh, fifth week. Sixth week. No, six, seventh. This week. is our seventh wow. episode. I am god awful at counting. This is our thirtieth week. <laughs> We've been doing this for almost a year now. <laughs> Seven weeks of. Uh, rotating reels yeah so thanks everyone for joining us this far and be sure to check in next week for waves